Alright, we're turning to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. Verse 1, a false balance or a false scale is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. And then verse 4, Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivereth from death. We entitle our thoughts this afternoon, Righteousness Delivers from Wrath. And I'm not quoting word for word the last phrase of verse 4, but notice in Hebrew, Poetry, there is parallelism. So riches are parallel with righteousness and wrath is, par- is parallel with death. And so, certainly could say riches profit not in the day of death, but also righteousness delivers from wrath. And so you have those two truths given to us this afternoon. And I'd like to see how verse 1 illustrates verse 4 in particular in this message this afternoon. The Bible speaks about a just scale or a just weight or a just balance. So you have the two thoughts of the scale itself and then you have the standard weight that is used to... uh, make sure that the scale or the balance is is uh, righteous, is just, is accurate. They had weights that were stones at first and then metal. They, they actually have unearthed these in archaeology. They had stone standard weights that they would put on a scale uh, to make sure that the scale was accurate. And they, ended, they also had metal weights. Now, the Bible talks about just scales. It's interesting, it uses a theological term to describe a physical item. Um, and so, you see how the, the physical can illustrate the spiritual. And I think that we can see this here and in other passages of Scripture. Now, obviously, there, there, were, there were merchants that could uh, create um, improper scales and, 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 and uh, take advantage of customers. It might be that they, they wrote a different weight on the standard than was the weight itself. Um, or they had unequal uh, bars on, on, the, on the scales. They weren't that the, uh, the, the sides of the bars were not equal. They had other ways, certainly, in which they could. Uh, they had some actual um, writings that they discovered. For instance, that they were not to allow the weights to have to, to be wet. Uh, for instance, or that that stores were to uh, wipe their scales at least once a week, uh, so 
because they had what they actually said was stuff on, that stuck to them after a while. So the scripture in quite a few places urges, for instance, the priests to be the the um, the ones who went through their commercial places and and uh, tested their scales, and they were also police as well as priests that they uh, watched over the the morality of the people. But Proverbs, as you know, is a book of wisdom. Wisdom literature begins particularly in Job and right through the book of the Song of Solomon or Canticles. The Lord Jesus recognized these three divisions of Scripture, the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and called the wisdom literature by the name Psalms. Obviously, uh, that's one particular book, but it, in that case, represented all the poetical books. Now, we would believe that the Bible is primarily written to believers. So, wisdom literature is wisdom to guide believers with God. But we understand that also God gives wisdom to guide unbelievers to God. And so the question might be, I understand that Proverbs is written particularly to believers, but can an unbeliever in any book of the Bible be given enough information to come to Christ? And we would say absolutely yes. So in wisdom literature, you're going to find mostly moral wisdom, how to live for the Lord. Not moral works righteousness, as if our morality can earn our salvation. But again, it's written primarily to believers. How are we to live in Christ? How are we we to live in light of the Ten Commandments? For instance, make sure that we have righteous scales. Make sure we are honest. To make sure that we don't steal from people. Or that we don't lie to people. But we also find there are words what we call legal righteousness, again, to guide unbelievers to God. Now, simply commanding a believer to do right would be, God could use that to convict an unbeliever who's doing wrong. Verse 1 could be simply a conviction to an, a lost person who's been lying and stealing. And he feels his guilt, and he seeks to find out how he can have his guilt removed. But there are verses that particularly do deal in a, in a, in a uh, spiritual light in the sense that, for instance, chapter 1 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or the chief part of wisdom. You don't begin to be wise until you fear the Lord. Or a verse like, turn at my reproof. That's a verse dealing with repentance of our sins. There are plenty of verses in Proverbs and in every book of the Bible for God to use to cause unbelievers to find him. But again, the Bible is primarily written to believers how we are to live, how are, what are we to believe in Christ as our Savior. Now, the subject of righteousness is, is paramount in, verses, in, cha- in chapters 10 and 11. You'll find the word just and righteous numerous times and the synonym upright. And then the opposite, the word wicked, is actually, some people think the idea that wicked means putrid, vile sin. 
Wicked is just simply the opposite of righteous. It's really a legal term. Someone who's not justified is wicked. Now there are other words for vile, putrid, polluting sin like like we might say sinner or we might uh, say uh, the, uh, the, the wicked, the, the, the unclean person. Like it's interesting how the fallen, yeah, abomination, but unclean, we think of something that is, is morally polluting. And uh, interestingly, the lost, the, the fallen angels are called unclean spirits. So don't think that they, they aren't a polluting influence or that they aren't, uh, have not polluted their own souls. So we find the subject of righteousness. And when we think of righteousness, we think, again, of two kinds of righteousness. Moral, which is imparted righteousness, and legal or forensic, which is imputed righteousness. And we need to see both of these. Someone who's morally righteous has been declared so. It's not something done in us, but outside us. It's like you're in a courtroom, you're guilty of, of sin, you're guilty of, of being ungodly, but someone steps in your place and takes your guilt, and then the judge declares you now not unrighteous, but righteous. That is, in in uh, the right relationship with God. But then moral righteousness is dealing with, for instance, the Ten Commandments and uh, whether someone is telling the truth or he's lying. Whether someone is stealing or being generous. And so that is imparted righteousness. And so you have the two kinds. And both are found in Proverbs. But as I said earlier, the moral righteousness is found more often. For instance, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. That's dealing with morality. Avoid adultery over and over. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Listening to God's Word. Now that certainly would also include the moral. Loving your spouse. Seven deadly sins to avoid. Honesty. Gentleness versus wrath. Sobriety. Child training. Those are all areas of moral righteousness, morality. And that's predominant in the book of Proverbs. But again, Proverbs has quite a bit of legal righteousness. We might say the Gospel. Uh, Turn at my reproof. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. The fear of the Lord. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Righteousness delivers from death. It's not teaching here that your morals deliver you from death. Not teaching works righteousness. Now it is true that if you are justified by the blood of Christ and you live a moral life, then that morality is not that which achieved your salvation, but that which um, is the effect of your salvation. And it will deliver you from death. But I purport that this righteousness is dealing with a legal righteousness, not so much a moral righteousness. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There's a gospel verse found twice in Proverbs. So let me look at let us look at the fact that this moral 
uh, righteousness illustrates the legal. A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. You see the opposites here? A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but... So you have antithetic parallelism. Rhyme is not the primary thought of Hebrew poetry. It usually is in, in English poetry. But Hebrew poetry, if it rhymes, it's more, mostly by accident, although you can see it in the Hebrew that, that on purpose they'll have words that begin the same, several in a sentence, or words that end the same. But mostly it's parallel thoughts, whether they be parallel opposites or parallel similarities. <coughs> so parallelism, not rhyme, though there are quite, quite a few figures of speech in Hebrew. What is a simile? Use like or as, like cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Or personification, wisdom crieth without. There are there are figures of speech in Hebrew and in English as well. But as far as the poetry itself, you have synonymous, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. That's saying something similar in both statements. Then you have that which adds to the next, the first statement. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, chapter 14, verse 26, and His children shall have a place of refuge. That second statement is not simply repeating the first statement and is, and pair is synonymous. It's actually adding to the first statement. If you fear the Lord, then you'll have strong confidence in the Lord. If you live in reverence and respect of the Lord, you won't be afraid of minor things. The Bible says um, that in chapter 28 and verse 1, a text that's, that should be uh, encouraging to us, it says, The wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And so, he's bold, we're bold as lions because we keep the Lord ever before us and He towers over any minor thing. Then you have the opposites, the antithetic parallelism, like this one in chapter 11, verse 1, and like chapter 15, verse 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but... So, many of these antithetic parallelisms will have the but in between... Um, the, the uh, first and the second statement. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but on the opposite extreme, grievous words stir up anger. So, chapter 11, verse 1, is it, is it synonymous or is it antithetic parallelism? A false balance is abomination to the Lord and a false weight is His... No. That's not what it says. That would have been synonymous. A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a, but a just weight is His delight. You see the opposites here. A false balance, a false scale, is opposite to a, a uh, consistent standard weight that tests whether the scale is false or true. So, you look at this at first, the teaching is morality. It's, it's moral righteousness. It's saying, uh, don't lie. 
and don't steal. Right? Commandments number 8 and 9. You're stealing if you have a, a balance that's, that's not right. When you, when you put your bananas on the scale and the scale reads 2 pounds, you get home and you know your scale at home is correct and your scale reads a pound and a half, you've been duped. We've been duped. I don't know if you ever try that, but uh, you wonder. They're supposed to send people, uh, state, the state is supposed to send people randomly to stores to check the weights. In the same way, you would be lying then if you did that on purpose. So the Lord is saying, tell the truth and don't steal. But look at verse 4 and see how this illustrates it. Riches profit not in the day of death, but righteousness delivers from death. I'm sorry, riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivereth from death. So what is the scale, may I say? The scale is eternal life. Here is God's standard. And people try to put riches on that other side. And so, verse 1 is illustrated what verse 4 is conveying. People try to put something on the other side of God's righteousness, God's way of salvation, God's standard. What is God's standard of salvation, of righteousness? It is Christ. It is the work of Christ. And the Lord has a perfect standard. He is, Jesus is perfect. God places Christ on the one side. And what must we place on this side? Christ. That's it. In Christ. Then we will be equal to God's righteousness. But many different kinds of commerce, we might say, produce, productions of people are placed on the other side. And the Lord says they're insufficient. Riches. This is said two times in Proverbs. Chapters 10 and 11. 10 verse 2. Righteousness delivers from death. Righteousness delivers from death. And the, the, the riches that, don't, that aren't sufficient, you'll find that in Job. You'll find that in Proverbs. You'll find that in Zephaniah at least twice, I think. So throughout Scripture, the Bible says your riches, and Jesus says this in His sermons, right? If you love mammon more than God, then, then uh, you're lost. Jesus says that, that uh, how hardly shall a rich man enter into the kingdom of God. Men think that their riches are equal to God's eternal blessing. And that's why it's, it's perplexing to some people that the disciples, when Jesus said, how hardly shall a rich man enter the kingdom of God, the disciples said, who then can be saved? You've got to put your, uh, your, yourself in the mind, for instance, of the Jews back then. You and I think, well, yeah, that makes sense. Because we know the New Testament Scriptures and all the sermons of Jesus where He warns about the deceitfulness of riches. And we know that most, we might say, rich people seem ungodly. They're trusting, they're, they're, they're assuming that their riches 
are a leverage for power and for influence and for eternal peace. And it's a warning to those who have riches and wealth that be careful that you don't use that as a leverage to walk over people and to assume you're better than the next person because you have more wealth. Be warned that Jesus said that very few, it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. But see, the Lord is placing riches and righteousness on the same scale. Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. And so you see how riches and righteousness are on the scale. And the righteousness is imputed righteousness, verse 4. And the riches, therefore, are not necessarily just physical riches, but the works that people have produced, uh, that have, have yielded, have exercised to gain those riches, is certainly far short of what God intends. Now, what is the righteousness of God? Romans 1 tells us it's God's perfection. It's, 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 it's being absolutely perfect, holy, no sin, no unrighteousness. And uh, Romans tells us it's the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, even as is written, the just shall live by faith. And the context of that is the righteousness of God is only revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ, His incarnation, His life, and His death. He's made unto us righteousness, we're told in 1 Corinthians 1.30. And so Christ is on one side, God's righteousness on the other, perfection. The scale is absolutely balanced. It's equal on both sides. Anything else but Christ on the, on the other side of the righteousness of God is, is uh, woeful, wanting. And that illustration, you remember, is found in Daniel chapter 5. What did Daniel say to Belshazzar? Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. So what did Daniel assume was on God's side of the scale? The eternal life side of the scale. The salvation side of the scale. doesn't say, but we understand it's the righteousness of God. It's God's way to heaven. It's God's favor toward a soul, spiritually. And he's saying, Belshazzar, you're on one side, God's righteousness is on the other side, and you're found woeful, you're found wanting. And so the person and the person's work and the person's riches are all woeful weights. We would say they're not even feathers on the side of God's in, on one side of God's scale. So it's not more or less righteous, by the way. Legal righteousness is you're either justified or you're not. You're either just or you're wicked. You're either justified or you're condemned. Those are the opposites in the New Testament. It's not sanctification. Now, some people are more sanctified than others. There's a, there's a degree of sanctification. 
Some people are further along spiritually than others, not just because they've been saved longer. May I purport, there can be someone that's saved a year that's further along spiritually than someone that's been saved ten years. <coughs> so sanctification, though, is, is in degrees. But there are certain aspects of the Gospel that are not in degrees. Adoption, you're either adopted or you're not. So no one can say as a Christian, I'm more adopted than you are. Everybody was saved with the same price. Jesus' blood purchased every single one who's adopted. Now in our day and age, people pay more or less money for a, to, to adopt children. But there's no such thing in the kingdom of God. You're adopted or you're not. You're justified or you're not. Now, you're justified or you're condemned. You're justified or you're wicked. In other words, you're, you're, uh, you're not, you've not been imputed with the righteousness of Christ. I know this is not an easy concept and it takes, it's a whole lifelong under, uh, it takes a whole lifelong of study and pondering. But righteousness is a huge subject in the Bible. But we can't, we mustn't confuse moral righteousness with Legal righteousness. And as I just said, there's, there's no degrees of legal righteousness. In a sense, there's, there are degrees of moral righteousness. Some people are more honest than others. And some Christians really need to work on their honesty. So in a sense, there are degrees of moral righteousness. But there are no degrees of legal righteousness. I, am I making sense? Last week in Sunday school, I don't know how many times the man said it, but he says, does that make sense? I think he must have said it 30 times. Uh, does that make sense? So I have to say that, especially in the subject of righteousness. Do we see the difference between moral and legal? I tell the truth. That's moral righteousness. I am accepted in God's sight. That's legal righteousness. See the difference. Why the word righteous is used? Righteousness for both? We could certainly use synonyms. We could say morals, morality, obedience for moral righteousness. We would say just, righteous, imputed righteousness, accepted in God's sight as legal righteousness. You see the difference by use of the synonyms, I, I hope. But why is it that the Lord warns about riches being a deceitful uh, kind of trust because that's the way man is man thinks his wealth is everything his wealth uh, makes him better than others he has more buying power more uh, living power more uh, you know he has he has he has more of everything because of his wealth and he thinks he's must have god's favor and he's better than the next person and so it's a pride issue it's deception to think that wealth is an evidence of God's favor and an evidence of someone's uh, superiority over another. That's why in Proverbs you often hear the poor walketh in his integrity. The poor discerns the rich. It's not saying that, that the poor necessarily are godly because they're poor, but it's saying that generally speaking, a person who has less wealth is humbler and you know, he's mistreated by the wealthy and he's put down, but that God can use not to cause someone to be bitter, 
but to cause someone to, hump, to be humble and to think about his life and, and to actually thank God that he isn't in the pathway of the wealthy because that is normally on the wide gate, the wide path that leads to destruction. If God has allowed you to be wealthy, use it for His glory. Don't use it as a stepping stone over others or as a, a deceptive um, conclusion that you're you have necessarily God's favor spiritually. Be warned that Jesus said, how hardly shall a rich man enter into the kingdom of God. And so, on God's scale, are you in Christ? Then you are equal to the righteousness of God. A person that is justified does righteous things. A legally righteous person does morally righteous things. But the first thing is legal righteousness. You can be moral and lost. You can't be legally righteous and lost. You can't be justified, accepted in God's sight for the the work of Christ and be lost. So don't be deceived. Just because you do righteous things doesn't mean you're a righteous person. Just because you tell the truth doesn't mean you're a Christian. But a Christian will tell the truth. There's a big difference. A righteous or justified, accepted person is forgiven. He's been declared so by faith in Christ. But he will then desire to live a righteous life. John says it this way, He that doeth righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. He that doeth righteousness is born of God. And the wording is, has been born of God. So the new birth comes before doing righteousness. Any other thing placed on the scale of God's righteousness except Christ is wanting. So you name it. Works. I'm trying to do my best. How often have you heard someone say, when you ask them, are you a Christian? Are you going to heaven? I'm doing my best at it. I'm working on it. That's works righteousness. And again, we we heard the testimony of Amish people that said, what is ingrained in us is doing, is doing, is doing. Have we done enough? Are we pleasing God? Are we are we uh, are working our way sufficiently to heaven? So whether you put riches or works or religion, let alone putting sins on the other side. But what's worse? I mean, who would dare say, I'll put my lies and I'll put my theft and I'll put my unbelief and I'll put my cowardice and I'll put my lusts on the, on the scale. I mean, that is obviously an insult to God. But there are people that almost think that God would just simply be use clemency. Show clemency when they die. Sure, he doesn't he save sinners? Have you ever heard someone say that? Well, God is, is, is obligated to save sinners, isn't He? Why did God send Jesus? Because He was obligated to save us? It's not sin that guaranteed the death of Christ. It was the love of God. It was the decree of God. It was the grace of God that sent Christ. Not my sins. My sins deserved His wrath. I am not entitled to Christ because of my sin. I am entitled to Christ because of His love, because of His covenant. 
And so the sinner should not be like this and say, I'm, I'm waiting for God to save me. The sinner should flee to Christ and see the gift of God in the shadow of Calvary. <coughs> All of our righteousnesses <coughs> are as filthy rags. 64.6 in Isaiah. That's a pretty graphic illustration of, of our unrighteousness. And yet it's called all of our righteousnesses. Notice it's plural. They're actually unrighteousnesses. But Isaiah is giving this illustration of a filthy menstrual rag when he uses that picture. I picked up some trash in front today. And one of them, I'm, I'm almost positive, it was a doggy bag. Horrible smelling. It's happened two or three times. You know, people will be walking along and they'll do the right thing and bring a doggy bag, but they'll do the wrong thing and drop it off. Here, I have a gift. And it stunk like, and I have to confess to you, I littered. I threw it in back of the, the um, um, brick building back here. You know, I'm not bringing it in the building. And I'm not putting it in the trash in my truck. But it was horrible. Well, how would you like me to hand that to somebody? If, for, you know, thank you for the favor. That you, you know, here's here's my my thanksgiving to you by handing you a a filthy, stinking, rotting, decomposing doggy bag. That's not even in the ballpark of what Isaiah is describing. And God moved Isaiah to describe it. You say that's horrendous. Isn't that offensive? You know, the Bible has offensive literature, has offensive illustrations to show how offensive sin is to God. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And yet we sinners actually present our doings as righteousness to be placed on the scale of God's righteousness and is absolutely insulting as we have been perhaps insulted by some of the things that people have offered you and me, or said to you and me. Unbelievable. You think, how in the world could someone compare this with that? Someone just lost, as you know, some loved one just lost a child. And a neighbor had the audacity to say, I've lost a boxer. And it was just like a child. Can you imagine comparing a dog to a human being? Not by works of righteousness which we have done, what which we have done, but because of God's mercy in Christ, but because of what He has done. And we often hear this over and over again. Not by works. Not by doing, but what's done. But we've got to remember it's, it's something that's necessary in a deceived world that is, that is, what are we, what am I trying to say? That man is so consumed with his own doings. It's offensive to man to say your doings are abominable to God. They're stinking rags to God. Say that to a, a moral, religious person and it's like punching them in the face. But like those Amish people and like you and I, we finally had the light bulb turned on when the Lord said, you're lost. 
You're lost. You're lost. The forensic evidence is the life and death of Jesus Christ is science to save our souls. It's true science. Now, Proverbs 10 and 11 tells us what justified people say and do and are. I'm just giving a, a, a sample. In chapters 10 and 11 tells us the character of justified persons, the speech, the, the communication, the, the, the conduct of, of justified people. Let me just give you a few of these. Chapter 10, verse 3. They're satisfied by the Lord. They're not famished. They may not have anything of the world's goods, but they are satisfied by the Lord who doesn't allow them to be famished. Blessings are upon their head, verse 6. Their, their memory is blessed after they die. You know, do you think, you think of the wicked people that have died over the years. You forget about them. But the righteous are always remembered by someone. They're remembered by the Lord forever and ever. Verse 9, they're, they're, they have a consistent walk. They walk surely. Verse 11, their mouth is a well of life. You want your children to listen to them. Verse 16, their labor is fruitful. Verse 20, their tongue is choice silver. Verse 21, the, they have lips that feed many. They may not say much, but what they say is significant. They have answered prayer, verse 24. Verse 25, they have, they're an everlasting foundation. They have eternal life. Verse 28, they, they have glad hope. Verse 29, they have strength in God's will. They're stable, verse 30. They're wise, verse 31. Verse 32, they have choice words. Chapter 10, 2 and eleven four. They have the righteousness that delivers from death. They have eternal life. They're guarded from trouble, verse 8. They have a good influence outwardly, verses 10 and 11. Again, they have eternal life, verse 19. Chapter 11, verse 23, they have a good desire. They have good desires. Verse 28, they flourish. They're fruitful, verse 30. They win souls. Verse 31, interesting, out of all those descriptions, is a is one we may easily not detect. <coughs> Chapter 11, verse 31. <coughs> Behold, the righteous shall be recompensed in the earth, much more the wicked and the sinner. Have you ever thought through that verse? It's an interesting one. At first thought, it means the righteous will be rewarded and the sinner will be punished. I don't believe that's what it's saying. Another verse, and I think Paul alludes to this, or is it Peter? If the righteous are scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? In other words, this is saying, if you're truly a justified person, God's going to deal with your sin and my sin. He's going to chasten us. How much more the wicked and the sinner? And that's what Peter is saying in the New Testament. And many believe he's referring to verse 31 of Proverbs 11. And so what is, what is another way of saying that? 
The Lord chastens those whom He loves. And so a, a truly just person, let me ask you, are you chastened when you sin? Do you have guilt? Does the Holy Spirit let you know when you're not walking with God? He'll let us know because He's covenanted to be our indwelling comforter and teacher. So, am I righteous? And I'm asking both. Am I morally righteous? Am I legally righteous? Do I have the character of a person that's been justified in Christ? Do I have the, 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 the speech, the, the works, the, the worship? The moral will reflect the legal. If God has accepted me in Christ and He's declared me as my judge to be accepted in His sight, to be as, as righteous as Jesus Christ, that is perfect concerning God's law, then I will have works that proceed from that legal position. That the moral righteousness will reflect the legal. I will tell the truth. I will be generous. I will seek to be humble. I will repent of my sins. I will hate my sin. I will desire to be holy and not immoral and, and vile. From conception, I am unrighteous. So I, have, I had done unrighteous, wicked things. But from conversion, I am justified. So I begin to do righteous, moral things. I speak moral words. I seek to do moral works. I seek to think moral thoughts. Do I have the same weight on the scale as God's righteousness? In Christ, you and I can answer Daniel or say to Daniel, Daniel, I'm not found in the balances wanting anymore. Daniel, Christ, I'm in Christ. And when Christ is on the other side of the, of the scale and I'm in Him, in union with Him, then I have the righteousness of God. I am not found wanting. I am, founding, I am found righteous. I am found equal. And that sounds arrogant and sounds boastful to say we have the righteousness of Christ. But that's the Bible. A Christian has the righteousness of Christ imputed, reckoned to Him. And I have that righteousness, therefore, that delivers from wrath, delivers from death, which is the butler into hell for the lost soul. We can say death is the butler into heaven. When you and I, if we're in Christ, if we died right now, it would be dark just for a moment. It would just be for a moment. It would be like closing your eyes and opening them again. What a blessed promise it is. To be absent from the body is going to be a little dark for a moment or two. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and the next moment will be in the presence of Jesus at His, right, at His feet. And then we'll see Jesus and we'll see His wounds and we'll, we'll thank Him for His sacrifice. And we'll know the presence of the Father and the Spirit. And then one by one we'll be able to meet more sinners saved by grace. 
Do we have that, as Martin Luther described it, foreign righteousness? It's outside of us. It was achieved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Our righteousness, therefore, is not natural. It's not intrinsic. It's not earned. It's not bought by us. It's supernatural. It's it's foreign. It's inherited. It's unearned. It's received. It's given. It's reckoned. It's imputed. It's bought by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can say, we have the just weight now on the scale of God's righteousness. And that just weight is God's delight. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That is the weight. That is the standard for God's salvation. Please help us, Lord, to understand these things. They are... They are difficult. Oh Lord, these concepts, these concepts cause us to exercise our souls greatly. Lord, help us in our minds and our hearts to understand this truth. It's a truth to be saved by and to live by, to die by. Thank Thee that our salvation is a promise from Thee because You loved us. But, oh Lord, how great is Your salvation. How wise, how, how amazing that it took the, the incarnation of the Son of God, that the Son of God would have to take a body and a human soul, live for us and die for us and rise for us. What a salvation, Lord. There was no other way. We dare not place on the scale of Your righteousness any of our own doing. Thank the Lord that it's all the doing of, of the Savior. Plead His blood and His righteousness. We pray, Lord, for more understanding. Open our understanding. Like You opened the, the understanding of the disciples there and that they might understand the Scriptures. Please mature us. Save lost souls. Save those that are trusting in their wealth, in their wisdom, which you said is the wisdom of the world, which is, is, is foolishness to thee. And the Lord, they're trusting in their works and their religion, even, the Lord, daring to live a sinful life, assuming that you'll be merciful, that death will be their Savior. Oh, Father, undeceived sinners. Use us, please, in even a small way. Who are we? We're but a little company, Lord. But use us in our interaction with souls to point them to a, a great Savior and a great salvation. Oh, you would show people they're lost. They're lost. They need Thee. Please, waken souls. Make our lives count for you, we pray. In the Savior's name, amen.